Uh, hey, so glad that you guys are with us. Uh, last weekend was very exciting for me. It was the guys from our D group, our Doing Life Together group. We did our annual Grand Canyon hike. And uh, so there were most of us on the trip. Uh, two uh, did not show up. Uh, because they checked what the weather was going to be like last weekend at the Grand Canyon, and they, they decided not to come. Now, I'm not saying publicly that they're pansies. That would not be, that would not be fair or appropriate, because they're not here to defend themselves, uh, or at least they don't have a mic uh, to defend themselves. And so I'll let you decide whether that's the case or not. But the rest of us who are uh, uh, not pansies decided to go ahead and do the, the trip down the Grand Canyon, and uh, it was... It was pretty incredible. Uh, the first 75% of the trip was like baby bear's porridge. I mean, it wasn't too hot. It wasn't too cold. It was just right. It was like God had put on the misters. It wasn't, it wasn't raining. It was just kind of misty. And so it was just beautiful temperature going all the way down and half of the way up. Uh, and then... Uh, once we hit kind of the second half, the hardest part of the whole journey, climbing back up, the, uh, the weather started getting rough, uh, and the, the tiny uh, boys were tossed, uh, one might say. But it, the weather started getting rough. It started pouring rain. We got soaked to the bone. I mean, everything that we had was absolutely drenched with water, which I thought was okay because we were still hiking and working hard, and it was fairly warm. But then as we were climbing up out of the Grand Canyon, then it started to snow. And so for the last hour of our hike, it was beautiful. I mean, the snow is coming down. It was beautiful in the Grand Canyon and all that, but it was cold. Even for a Canadian, it was cold. So the whole last hour was just, <laughs> was just freezing cold and everything. It was, it was awesome. So now you can decide whether those two who didn't come were the smart ones or not. You get to decide all that. But, but like I said, the, the journey down was fabulous. There was a moment where I turned on my iPod and I had the track record volume two on, which was the most recent worship CD that Marsh and the gang have put together. And I was listening to, at one point to track number two on this, uh, on this CD, and it's entitled Hallelujah. And so here I am hiking down one of the wonders of the world and listening to this blazing chorus saying hallelujah, and my arms just, whoom, just, it just involuntarily uh, went up in worship as I was just absolutely enjoying that moment, just in this beautiful setting with the mist, and everything was absolutely great. And so I thought in that moment, this Sunday, we're going to talk about the lyrics to this song, Hallelujah. And I believe that there are some, if not many of us here in this room this morning, who are in need of a little hallelujah. And that's what we're going after this morning. Would you pray with me as, as we uh, continue? Father, thankful we are for this morning, for the opportunity to uh, worship, to uh, think new things. God, would you come and challenge our hearts and our minds Father, I pray for uh, persons in this room who are in need of a hallelujah, that you would have that make sense to us here over the next few moments, that there would be some surprises, perhaps some people who didn't want to come this morning, didn't want to get out of bed, maybe some, this is the first time they've been in church for quite some time. God, would you come and surprise us with your amazing, relevant, powerful presence, we pray in Jesus' name, amen. Well, if you are new or visiting with us, we have been in a series entitled The Whole Shebang, and we're looking at God's overall story, and we're doing that throughout the whole year. We're taking a break from that 
This morning, because what we're doing is between the sections of the whole shebang, periodically we'll take a break. And what we're doing today is looking at the lyrics of one of the songs that is part of a CD that we, that we gave out at Christmas time. If you did not get the opportunity to get one of these CDs at Christmas, feel free to go into the info booth and get one for free. They're really uh, fantastic. And the whole concept, the hope of these CDs is that we would develop a track record with this music together. That's why it's called track record, so that you would get history with these songs. You'd learn the songs, uh, know them, that you would actually come to, to the point of actually looking forward to letting that be a part of your worship here on Sunday morning, that we would, um, that we would uh, grow with some of these great songs. And that that would be a part of our connecting with God, which is a value for us here as a church. So, like I said, the song that I want to talk about this morning is called Hallelujah. Now, first of all, do we even know what that word means? I mean, what does Hallelujah mean? We, we know that it's a sacred concept. It's connected to spirituality or religion. We're, we're pretty, we're, we're, we know that. Although, you know, Leonard Cohen comes out with a song that's been re- redone by a number of people. It says, talks about the cold and broken hallelujah, and he's talking about his broken relationships. And so, where does that fit exactly? I mean, what does the word mean? When's the last time you ever used the word? Have you ever used the word? If you did, when would you use it? What would be the circumstances where you would use the word hallelujah? As I've thought about it, I think a natural place for us to use hallelujah is at a sense, at a time of great relief. We realize that things uh, weren't as we feared they might be, or we realize that our child was not in that accident, and we say hallelujah, just this sense of relief. Perhaps we use the word uh, uh, maybe those who are not followers of Christ use the word in mockery of those Jesus freaks, and they walk around going hallelujah all the time. I don't know how we might use the word. It's kind of a cliche word. Maybe it's used uh, after sex. I don't know. That's a spiritual experience. I'm just throwing out options here. I would uh, say that whenever the word follows the word well, that it's probably going to be in the category of sarcasm. That if someone says, oh, you put the dishes in the dishwasher all by yourself, well, hallelujah. That if well comes before it, or oh, you uh, 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 put the toilet seat down all by yourself, well, hallelujah. That there's a sarcasm that's connected with it. If perhaps you had more of a Pentecostal background, a more expressive experience of worship, you might be very familiar with the word hallelujah, and it has flowed as a part of that hallelujah experience, and that is getting very close to the meaning of the word. The word literally means praise the Lord or PTL for you texters. That's it, literally, literally what, uh, what this word means. And we're getting closer, we're getting closer to an understanding of hallelujah uh, in that kind of a context. Some uh, would even say that it might represent the highest praise. The highest praise that we can give is, is this hallelujah experience. And so, uh, I mean, have, have you thought about what the word means? When, when, might, we, uh, when might we use this, this word in the context of our, of, our, of our life? Again, I think that some of us are in need of a little hallelujah this morning. And I want to take a look at this song because I believe the lyrics of this song move us. They're, they're moving us toward a chorus that celebrates hallelujah. So I want to take a look at the first verse of this song. You might be familiar with the song. This might be a brand new song for you, but I want to kind of take a look at these uh, lyrics for just a moment. It starts off, Jesus, 
please come. Please come today. Hear me. Heal me. Be near me, I pray. I've fallen so far. Flat on my face, I'm in need of your grace today. I stumble and fall, but in spite of it all, your love always stays the same. Hallelujah requires an admission of our need. That if there's no need, there's no hallelujah. That is an essential path for us to get to the point where we can fully sing a hallelujah chorus. We have to have an admission of need. And for some of us in the room, that's no problem. Right now this morning, admitting that there is a need spiritually, emotionally in your life, no problem. You may read these lyrics and and say, that is the cry of my heart. Jesus, if you are real, if this whole church, spirituality, Christian thing is real, please come. I need some help. I need you today. But there may be others here in the room where you don't quite connect with that yet. That's not the instant uh, heart cry for you. And if that's you, I I, want to take a look at a very important uh, verse in, in Scripture that helps kind of helps us understand our need. It's found in Romans chapter 3. I invite you to turn there if you'd like, if you brought your Bibles, but we're also going to put it up on the screen here this morning. Romans is found a little over three-quarters of the way into your Bible. It's about halfway through the New Testament. We're in Romans chapter 3 where Paul writes in verse 23. This is a verse that, that needs to be understood in terms of our need. Paul writes, For all have sinned, and fall short of the glory of God. Just hang on there for a second. We'll come back to verse 24. You can stay there in your Bible, though. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. This is an essential part of Paul's argument as he writes to the Romans. It's just this incredible writing that Paul gives to explain why Jesus had to die, who Jesus was, and how this whole thing works. There have been centuries of theologians since then who've tried to put language around this. And God supernaturally gave Paul incredible wisdom here as he wrote the book of Romans to help us out with this. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. It is important for us to understand our sinfulness, our fallenness. That our brokenness is not cute to God. It's a big deal. It separates us from Him. And unless it is taken care of, we will have eternal separation from Him. Unless that sin, that fallenness is paid for, unless there is punishment connected to that, we cannot have a restored relationship with God. Now this is a tricky point for many in terms of a journey toward God. The idea of of God creating us and then requiring us to pay a penalty for our sin that is just part of our human nature. That's an understandable hiccup in the journey in terms of how does this whole God peace work. But what we must understand with regard to our fallenness and our brokenness is that God is just. He is a just God. And justice is a good thing. We do the Pledge of Allegiance, liberty and justice for all. It's a very important part of our understanding of how we are to do life together, how we are to do government, how we are to to love one another. It's an important piece. 
The American government is set up with three branches. The judicial branch is an essential part of us being able to live life together. Justice is good, and a just God cannot say, ah, don't worry about it. Ah, it's fine. Do whatever you want. A just God cannot do that. There must be punishment for our sin, our brokenness. I know many of you here in the room, I know you're good people, and you may say, yeah, okay, I understand I'm not perfect, but I'm, I'm not that bad. I mean, I can't relate to the lyrics in the song and say, I fall flat on my face. I, I don't quite fall flat on my face in terms of brokenness and sinfulness. I, I've never spent much time in jail. I've never killed anybody. I've never wounded anybody for the rest of their life unless they really deserved it. I mean, I'm a good person. Some may kind of think that a little bit, but I I think we really don't understand the significance of our sin, of our sinful nature. I think it's hard for us to embrace that. It's hard for us to understand how that comes across to a holy God. It's hard for us to understand just how sinful we are. Speaking of sinful, I have uh, three children. And uh, all three of them were once two years old. And uh, one of them was two when we first moved here in 2005, 2006. And uh, that's our middle child, Martin. And uh, one uh, experience where he was enjoying the, the wonderful two-ness of himself, uh, he got in a little bit of trouble and he got sent to his room. And he was in there for a little while, and my wife and I decided to go check on him. And when we walked into his room, uh, this is what we found. And I'm not sure you can fully enjoy this here, but this is a black felt marker that was at the bottom. And this is his room, and he decided to color outside the lines, if you will. And the whole carpet was, uh, was drawn with black marker. Now, there's no way you're going to get that black marker out. Now, on the one hand, my wife and I um, were, uh, were not too pleased with this uh, late 80s blue carpet anyway, uh, just to be honest, uh, on one hand. But on the other hand, we were not too excited about having to pay $5,000 for new carpet because this carpet flowed into all the bedrooms and down the steps and the whole deal. We weren't too excited about that either. So, could you imagine if I had, uh, if I had leaned into my two-year-old here in this experience and I just said, Martin, do you understand what you've done fully? Do you understand the weight of your sin, kiddo? Do you understand that this is going to cost $5,000 to, to take care of this? Do you understand how much money that is? He might look up at me and go, you know, it's, he, got, he understood the word five. And then I might say, do you understand how much of a pain this is going to be to replace this carpet? Your, your mother and I are probably going to have to go to five different stores and get 20 different samples of carpet, and then we're going to have to invite all our neighbors and friends to come over to help us identify which are the right carpet samples, and then we're going to narrow it down to two that are completely indistinguishable from, for me, and I'm going to be frustrated with the whole process because one is sandy beach and the other is beachy sand, and I'm not going to understand why we're spending all this time on it, and then your wife and I are going to have to deal with all that, perhaps even go to counseling with all that. Do you understand? this son? Do you understand that, that all the furniture is going to have to be removed and how long it took me to put your bunk bed together and I'm going to have to take that apart to get it out of the room so we can get the carpet laid out properly in your room? Do you understand all the work that's going to happen here? Do you understand that 
that your mother is probably going to want the three-eighths of an inch pad underneath the carpet instead of the reasonably priced quarter-inch pad underneath the thing? Do you understand? And then it's going to have to cost more than $5,000 for us to take care of this? Do you understand all the implications of what you have done here? Would it be reasonable for me to say, Martin, you're going to have to pay for this. I don't know how. You're going to have to get some little cute job somewhere. You might not be able to go to college. But there's punishment that needs to be paid for what you have done. Would it be reasonable for me to just stay in that moment until he fully understood the magnitude of what he had done? No. All I get to do in that moment is I get to say, okay, we're going to put new carpet in here. Please don't do that again. He doesn't understand the impact of his sin. But I can say, please don't do that again. And I think that's where God lands with us many times. that We can't understand our sinfulness. But God can tell us, please don't do that. Please don't treat people that way. Please don't think that way. Please don't let that be a part of your thinking, of your experience. I don't think we fully understand just how sinful we are, how selfish we are, how reluctant we are to give generously that which God has given us in the first place. It's not ours anyway. We're just managers of our, of our money. He's provided it for us. We're managers of his stuff. We're not owners. We can't take it with us. How indifferent we are in so often in terms of global poverty and global, global injustice. We are in such desperate need of grace. We are not as far from sin as we think we are. We are in need of grace. And that's what this song goes after, saying that hallelujah, hallelujah requires an admission of our need, that without need, there is no hallelujah. And the song a couple times says, I am in need of your grace today. I'm in need of your grace today. Again, Paul says, for all have sinned, and fall short of the glory of God, each one of us. Verse 24, and all are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. All are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. That's, that's how this sin is paid for, is what Jesus did on the cross. It's, it's we are saved by grace. It's not because of our effort, efforts to counterbalance our sin or our badness or our fallenness that in the end we just want to make sure that our good outweighs our bad. That's not the way it works. We are justified by grace and grace alone. This is so essential for us to understand. I used to think that it was an appropriate testimony for someone to say, you know, I've always known God. I grew up knowing God. I can't remember a time where I didn't know God. 
And I've heard that testimony a number of times. And uh, maybe some of you, uh, that would kind of ring true for you. But I question that now. Now, if that's your story and you grew up in a Christian home, in a loving Christian home from day one, you have felt and experienced the presence of God. Hallelujah. Celebrate that. That's a very good thing. And it's okay to not know the moment, the day, the hour when you became a follower of Christ. I, I, I prayed the prayer many times when I was growing up and going into these camps and uh, church camps and all that. I don't know which one worked. I prayed the prayer numerous times. I don't know exactly which day it was for me. But what I, what I think is not okay is for us to believe we are followers of Christ without having gone through the process of realizing our need, without knowing just how far away we are from God on our own. That if we think we are so good, we were born good, then why would you need a Savior? Why would you even need a Savior? A Savior is for those who need saving. So there has to be an acknowledgement of our fallenness, of our brokenness, of our need. This is an essential part of the, of the journey. If you went to a counselor, a therapist, and said, I'm a bad person, a typical secular counselor would say, no, you're not. No, you're not. Let's start with that. No, we're going to deal with that. Well, my guess is that Jesus would say, you're right. That's right. And that's, that's why I came. That's why I died on the cross is because you can't take care of this on your own. You were born into sin. You can't justify this by having your good outweigh your bad. I think this is great timing for us as we're launching into Easter. For us to think about what it is that we're celebrating next Sunday. For us to not just think about the chocolates and where we're going to do lunch next, East, next Sunday. But that we would really think about why did Jesus die? Why did that happen? Do I really understand the weight of my sin, my brokenness, my fallenness, and my need for a Savior, my need for someone to take the punishment for me? I encourage you this week to think about that here. This is called Holy Week, that we would think about that in preparation for Friday and for Sunday. Perhaps read the story in John chapters 19 through 21 or read the first 10 chapters of Romans which is sometimes referred to as the Romans Road. You say, why does this happen? Why did Jesus do what, what he did? I invite you to prep, to, to read your Bible and prepare your heart and your mind for a celebration next Sunday. It's good to read your Bible. Please read your Bible. I mean, I, I love coming and gathering with you on Sunday mornings, and I learn a lot, and, and I get some feedback that this is a meaningful experience. Fantastic. But I invite you to read what we're talking about. Read the stories. A couple weeks ago, the last time I, I talked about the whole shebang, I talked about the story of Daniel, a prophet from the Old Testament, uh, if you remember that. And um, apparently there were these two women who after that Sunday, two Sundays ago, they went home and they read, without my permission, they read the book of Daniel by themselves. And what they discovered when they read it is that I was wrong about something. That one of the things I had said was that if Daniel had not stuck his neck out with Nebuchadnezzar, 
that he would have been fine. He would have been okay. But it's because he stuck his neck out, that's when he put himself in the potential for death. And they read where it says, no, he would have been killed anyway. And they read that. And they say, Alan was so wrong. And I, they, I heard that they were giggling and laughing. He was so wrong. Look, it says right there, I know he was wrong. He was wrong. They were giggling. And the worst part about it is that one of these women was my wife. And she told me about it, and they laughed, they laughed. Now, I told her that, you know, I made it very clear to her that that was a test just to see if she's been paying attention and she passed. You might be happy to know that. But it, it is a good thing for you to read the Bible on your own. Don't trust me. Okay? How many, how many preachers are going to tell you that? Trust this, okay? Because there are times when I may be Sorry. There are times when I may be Don't trust me. Trust this. If you have questions, if you disagree with me, don't just disagree with me and walk away. Go after it yourself. Okay, there's a little bit of a side note there, but, but may we read as we're, doing, as we're doing life together, as we're doing, celebrating the whole shebang together, as we're moving towards Easter. Read it yourself. That's why we provide the scriptures that we're looking at on Sunday mornings. Okay, back to the song. This song starts off with a verse that moves toward a chorus of hallelujah. And this word... Hallelujah is a unique word that we find in Scripture. It's, it's, a, it's a unique translation. It's a unique word that we find in Scripture. It's a fascinating thing to translate something from one language to another. To say, I want to translate it from this group of people who understood the language and wrote it to this group of people who don't know that language, but I want them to fully understand it. That whole process is very, very fascinating. Some of you are much more uh, aware of that and in-depth with that, with multiple languages than I am. But that whole process is fascinating. Here's some examples of uh, signs that one might find. It says, in case of emergency, break this wall to escape. I think that's interesting. Okay, there's there's a sign that says, Nokia, connecting poopy. There's just there's a translation issue there. Here's another one, a sign that says, this freezer is out of control. <laughs> it's a Pentecostal pre- uh, freezer, perhaps. And then uh, one more. Uh, I'm not even going to read that, but I don't know how that would have happened, but I just know I don't want to play that team. And, okay, let's lose it. Let's lose it here. So there's something fascinating that happens in the process of translation. And when one doesn't fully know both languages, then something is going to get lost. Something, there's some trick that is going to happen in there. Here's the, the wonderful, amazing thing about the word hallelujah, is that this word is only found in one place in the Bible. I mean, this is such a central word to the Christian experience, yet we can only find it in Revelation chapter 19, one of the last chapters in the whole Bible. It's the only place that we're going to find the word hallelujah. And what's also interesting about it is that the word is not translated. Almost all words in our English Bible, they're translated to say, this is what it means. And these experts have poured over it over centuries and said, this is our understanding of what this means. And I trust that God has protected that process for us to be able to read an English Bible. 
But this word is not translated. It's transliterated, which means they took the Hebrew, not Greek, but they took the Hebrew phrase, hallelujah, and they just made the English sound for that word and gave it to us and said here in Revelation 19, hallelujah. We're not going to translate it. We're going to give you the Hebrew phrase. It's a Hebrew phrase. How many Hebrew phrases do you know? That's cool. You might know kosher. You might know Einstein bagels. What else really do you know? But you know another one, hallelujah. And it's a, for those of you who sing, you'll, you'll know that the word itself is a beautiful word to sing and the use of the vowels in that, in that, in that word, in that phrase, hallelujah. I believe it's a gift from the translators, a gift from God for us to be familiar with this word. It's unique in Scripture. The, word, the phrase is also found in the Old Testament. It is found only in one place, and that is in the latter half of the Psalms. In the last chunk of Psalms, there are 23 places where we find the phrase, pray, where we find the phrase, hallelujah, the Hebrew phrase, hallelujah, except in those situations, it's translated, not transliterated. In other words, you're not going to find the actual word hallelujah. You're going to find the translation of the meaning of the word. And the word means, hallel means praise, lu means you, and ya means Lord, or it's a short version of Yahweh. And so it's praise you, Lord, or praise the Lord that we find 23 times in the book of Psalms. I want to look at an example here in 113, Psalm 113. If you open your Bibles pretty much right in the middle, you'll land on the Psalms, and this is where we'll finish up here. It's a hallelujah Psalm, 113. The writer begins, praise the Lord. In Hebrew, that would have been hallelujah. Praise, O servants of the Lord. Praise the name of the Lord. Let the name of the Lord be praised both now and forevermore. From the rising of the sun to the place where it sets, the name of the Lord is to be praised. The Lord is exalted over all the nations, His glory above the heavens. Who is like the Lord our God, the one who sits enthroned on high, who stoops down to look on the heavens and the earth? He raises the poor from the dust and lifts the needy from the ash heap. He seats them with princes, with the princes of their people. He settles the barren woman in her home as a happy mother of children. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. Let me reread verse 7. He lifts the needy from the ash heap. That hallelujah requires us to be reminded of our need. It requires an admission of need. Without need, there is no Hallelujah. So what we're going to do as we uh, finish this morning is we are going to sing this song that's the second track um, uh, on, the, on the volume two of uh, track record. It's called Hallelujah. We're going to sing it together because, once again, I believe there are some in this room who need a little hallelujah this morning. You need a little moment with God. And I'm so excited. Uh, I have been excited about us being able to have this moment together. And maybe there are some of you here who uh, fully understand your need. That's an easy jump for you. And you understand the, the ash heap that the writer of Psalm 13 is talking about. And that's where you're 
at. And I pray that these next few moments will be a much-needed hallelujah experience for you. And for those of you who just can't relate to the ash heap deal, that's just not how you feel, it's not how you see life, that you just don't see a need for grace, a need for a Savior, I invite you over the next few moments to search your heart. Search your heart in terms of how God views your imperfection and how much He wants you to embrace His grace. And maybe this morning, you are one of the ones in the room who is in most need of a hallelujah. So this morning, may we embrace this song. May this become a part of our experience here today. May we perhaps sing hallelujah in a way that we've never sung it before. Would you stand with me as we pray, and then we're going to sing the song together. Father, I'm so thankful for this phrase, hallelujah. God, I pray that you would uh, just wipe away any, any churchiness or any over-familiarity we have with this phrase. God, that we would enter into this phrase that you have provided for us in a fresh way, that it would, we would bring our highest praise to you coming from the place of admitting and understanding our need for your love and your grace and your mercy. That when you tell us that we've all sinned and fallen short, it's not to keep us down, it's to, it's to help us to celebrate just who you are and what you've done for us. So Father, would you meet us in this celebration? In Jesus' name, amen.